right. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Divas Radio Show. You're on with Green Diva Meg. And Green Diva Lynn. Yay! Woohoo! I'm clapping. I'm clapping. So we have a very busy show, as always, but, you know, and, and every week they're special. At least I think so. I think so, too. So before we get into the rundown, we don't have a lot of time, but I know there's a couple of special days that you want to tell us about. Yeah, uh, the World Environment Day is on Friday, June 5th, and it's all about 7 billion dreams, one planet, consume with care. I like it. So, yeah, it's cool. So you can use the hashtag World Environment Day and find out more about it if you're on Twitter or go to their website. Just look up World Environment Day. All right, very cool. It's on the UNEP website. Okay, and then World Oceans Day is June 8th, and that is, you know, we need to uh, officially recognize that. Uh, a lot of people will be involved all around the world in celebrating our oceans, but also trying to take action for the oceans. So one thing that they have is the Better Bag Challenge to see if you can go disposable plastic bag free for an entire year oh i i want to try that yeah let's do that i mean i'd already do that but yeah i I mostly do i'm not gonna lie every once in a while i get you know a plastic bag for various reasons Mm -hmm. and i'm always like you know mad at myself but yeah we do our best yeah all right cool well thank you lynn for keeping us informed on what's going on i try so we have, <laughs> <laughs> you do a good job. So this week we feature, we got to speak to Randy Painter. Yeah. Who is the founder and CEO of Care2. If you haven't been there, you got to go check it out. It's a really great place to get informed and get active at the same time and, and really make some changes in the world by... Um, signing petitions and and he talks about that and how how care to evolved and how it has become um you know kind of a major influence um, well and they have about um almost 30,000 30,000 yeah. 30 million members 30 million they're like just on the edge of 30 million now yeah right wow and we're very very proud to be um not only members of care to but but they do give us our own blog and feature there Right. And uh, it's nice to be part of that family because they do a lot of good. So, and then we have our first Green Divas Confessions. (laughs) (laughs) It was a funny idea we came up with, and I don't know, it, it sort of got solid when we were in Chicago at your house and you dropped your bag and the eggs. Yeah, because I forgot my reusable bag. Yes, see, speaking of, but you didn't use plastic. Your paper bag kind of ripped and dropped, and the eggs yeah, fell the out. Yeah, eggs all broke. Yeah. And the last one. I think one or two survived. And you were like, I'm being punished because I didn't use it. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we it just sort of like we have to do this. And we've started actually filming and recording. Um, we've been asking the question, what is a conf- green dude or green diva confession? And uh, so here's my first green diva confession. If you listen in, you'll hear what it's about. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, Inspired Green Diva is another new um, segment that we've been having a lot of fun with, and this one is with Jenny G. Perry. I love her. Yeah, and she and I could just talk like all day. I had to stop her before we even started recording. I'm like, stop, stop, we got to record. 
because there's too much good stuff. And right. this one was all about sister goddesses and how women can support each other rather than see each other as competitors, which sometimes happens. And mm-hmm. um, we have a new eco-sexy segment with Wendy Stragar. Yeah, I can't wait to hear that one. Yeah, this one's all about fantasy. Ooh. Yay! So anyway, we have a great show, so I'm hoping that you'll enjoy it. You'll let us know that you enjoy it. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, uh, all those places. Instagram. Instagram, Google Google Plus. Plus. (laughs) You know how to find us, people. So stay tuned. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazowitz, and this is Climate Connections. Nationwide, less than 1% of our electricity currently comes from solar. But the Farmers Electric Cooperative in Kelowna, Iowa, is doing more, a lot more. Currently, we purchase locally 10% of our power through solar. That's Warren McKenna, manager of the co-op. The member-owned utility started increasing the amount of locally generated solar power in 2007 by providing co-op members with the ability to sell their solar power back to the grid. McKenna says about 30 members, two-thirds of whom are farmers, have small solar installations that together feed 500 kilowatts of power into the grid. Then last year we added a 800 kW solar farm. McKenna says about 80 members purchased between 1 and 10 individual panels in the community solar farm, and all of them receive a credit on their electricity bills for their share of solar-generated power. All total, 20% of co-op members own some form of solar installation. This small electricity co-op in rural Iowa, which also supports wind energy from other parts of the state, demonstrates that renewable energy can help reduce our dependence on fossil fuels. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. The Green Divas have a confession. We're not perfect, but we do our best to live a greener lifestyle and take action for the Earth. Some of us still have to fill our cars with gas, and once in a while you might catch one of us drinking from a plastic water bottle or using a paper towel. Come on, folks. Let's keep a sense of humor about it all. Green Divas Confessions. Shh. Don't tell anyone you heard it on The Green Divas. Okay, the first of our fun series, Green Divas Confessions, or Green Diva Confessions, or I suppose Green Dude Confessions. Yeah, everybody has them. Everybody's got them. Um, nobody's perfect. No, I've got lots of them, as a matter of fact. You know, let's be honest. That's, you know, just, well, and that is what the point is, is, you know, nobody's perfect, and, uh. As a green diva, I'm always kind of a f- nervous that someone's going to come into my house and go, oh, my God, you have paper towels and flip out, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know that I have them, but you know also that I have lots and lots of dish towels that I use. Right. And I only use recycled paper content paper towels, and I don't use them very often. And when I do use them, as you will testify, if I, like, dry my hands or dry something with water, I just leave them there to dry and I reuse them. Like, as Oh, I know. Uh, when I was there, I was doing the same thing, and Wayne was um, horrified. <laughs> he was just like, oh, you're just like Meg. Oh. What is the deal? No, I'm throwing that out. I said, no, you're not throwing that out. <laughs> I'm going to use it again. All I did was 
dry my hands on it. It's completely fine to be used for something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have a Green Diva confession. I do, because this is one of those circumstances when I I personally have chosen (laughs) to go toxic, which is, I'm laughing because it's such a nightmare. Um, It was a nightmare that I lived vicariously through you. I mean, poor Lynn was suffering and she was a thousand miles away. Yeah. So when you... I've been itching. I have empathy itch. Empathy itch. Well, if you... think that you have bed bugs it immediately becomes a crisis believe me mm-hmm. and or even thinking that it's possible uh, to ever get bed bugs is to well, me a crisis yeah i'm seriously there's so you have to read my article because i kind of take a humorous way of explaining this process yeah it's a great post which is you know like you know just saying the critters who shall not be named name mm-hmm. You know, people start going, oh, and, and like you just immediately start to squirm. I have to say, I did have the heebie-jeebies and was a little concerned. Right. No, I didn't want to say, I didn't say it when you came to Chicago, like, oh, I hope she didn't carry any of those in her luggage. <laughs> that did cross my mind more than once. Well, just to, to put everybody's mind at ease, we did not, never have, and have not had bed bugs, but we thought we did. And that's a long story because as it turns out, we have bats and bats carry bugs that look an awful lot like bed bugs, but they don't live in your bed, but they do look like that. So uh, to keep the long story short, we flipped out and treated the house as if we had bed bugs, like literally ripped everything apart. And luckily, we didn't find anything anywhere, but right. um, we did use chemicals because our trusted uh, pest control dude – uh, who we affectionately call the Batman, Ken, you know, so he, there's a lot of things like people you can use freezing or steam, which seems like, oh, that's a lot less toxic. And he said, but but it really, especially in an old house like this with all the wood and crevices and things, you're not going to be able to penetrate and, and get rid of them if they're in there. Right. So we were like, I'm sorry, I got to go for the nuclear option here. Because, yeah, I don't blame you. I uh, mean, it's something that you definitely hesitated and you were not uh, at all happy about having to do it. No. And now, you know, so we now we thought we had rid, gotten rid of the bats a couple of years ago. It turns out they're back and they, we figured out how to get rid of them. But now we have Which this. Which we unf- did in a humane way. Yes. Oh, yes. Very much so. And because we love our bats, but we don't they want them relocated in the house. They were relocated. bat cave. But now we have this weird bug infestation in our attic (laughs) and it's like freaking everybody out. So, you know, they're going to be coming in in the next couple of days and doing a a toxic nuclear blast kind of thing in my attic. And I asked a lot of questions and, you know, it's not something that, you know, will will probably affect us at all in the bedroom areas. Uh, I am going to take some precautions, though, anyway, and I'm going to really cover my bed. Right. Just in case there's any sort of drift down, because we do live on the third floor below the attic, and um, you know, I'll, I'll I'll be washing things down. Mm-hmm. But I I just don't uh, I don't want to mess around with this. And there are like lots of options. People are like, well, can't you use like you know peppermint oil or whatever? And I'm like, mm, yeah, but you know, I don't know. It takes a lot of peppermint oil. These are parasites, and when they don't have their host. They're not going to fool around. They're going to start looking for something, even though they don't like people. 
And that's how we thought, you know, originally there were bed bugs because during the winter time, while the bats weren't here, they came down through a vent and started pestering one of my daughters. Um, but they don't like people. I so. just picture like a bunch of these bugs scurrying out of the vent. That's yeah. just what goes through my head. It's, I it's, think it could be a horror film. It's well, it's not quite it's that bad, but it, but but, but it, but it is, yeah. So uh, the good news is, is you know, um, they don't like humans. So if you get rid of the bats, and then we, you know, go to the nuclear option up there in the attic. Uh, but you know, th- there are things that you can do. That, that I learned, you know, first of all, alcohol. Um, you can spray alcohol. You're talking about the rubbing kind? Rubbing alcohol, and not like vodka. Um, <laughs> although some people consider drinking it at some point. We did learn during the point that we thought we had bed bugs that you can spray that and it will kill them, kill the larvae and the bugs and everything, uh, the eggs. Um, and, and that is a really kind of a good temporary prevention. Um, and it does work with these cousins of the bugs that like bats better um and i've seen uh what did, i don't even know how to pronounce it but this diatoma diatomaceous earth thank you yeah, yeah, yeah. that can yes and there is home. a there's like a a human grade safe grade that you can use indoors and um although we tried it on anthills and those anthills actually got bigger yeah yeah well, well, and, and so sure someone that. told me that uh, these things don't like lavender, so I'm telling you, I sprayed my bedroom constantly, and I mean constantly, with I'm you know sure alternating between alcohol and um, and the lavender oil. Uh, lavender, I used essential oil and water, and um, it did. It smelled really good, and supposedly the little bugs don't like that, so it's a deterrent. So, those are a few things you can do. Um, I would. Just be very careful. I mean, now I'm just hypersensitive. You know, when we're in a hotel room, I'm like checking the mattress, not fooling around. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I don't want to scare anybody. We we didn't have bed bugs, but we, we did have to use some toxins. So that's my confession that uh, I, didn't, uh, I didn't go with the uh, earthy, crunchy herbal remedy because I'm just not feeling it. Not in this old house, man. I think it would just be a constant battle. Well, so, hey, if you have any anybody else have any confessions, submit a confessions post to the Green Divas. Please. They're fun. Try to have fun. We're trying to keep a sense of humor and balance in this world. Nobody can do it perfectly, you know? It's it's not possible. Least of all us. And so there you go. All right, folks. Thanks, Lynn. Bye. Carry on. Have a Green Diva or Green Dude confession? Share it with us on social media or on thegreendivas.com. And let's all remember not to judge ourselves and others as we trudge this happy road of destiny towards a more sustainable way of life. And don't forget to listen to the Green Divas radio show on GDGD Radio. That's GDGDRadio.com. There are people in this world that just sparkle with an almost magical and radiant energy, leaving a wake of good stuff wherever they go. We just love meeting and talking with these folks who inspire us to be better, do better. Okay, we are back with 
the silly, sassy, spiritual sex pot, Jenny G. Perry. Hi, Jenny. Hi. And she and I just get talking, like even just before we start uh, recording, and, and, and I'm like, oh, my God, we could just talk all day. Let's stop. Because it's good material, and we want to get it on recorded for you people. So we started chatting. We were going to talk about another topic, mind-body-spirit connection, which is fabulous. But we got chatting about women and collaboration and how strongly we both feel that it was a shift for each of us um, when we really began to see our sisters as as not competition, but but just you know our sisters. So, Jenny, I know you've got a lot to say, so I'm going to be quiet. <laughs> Don't you be quiet, girl. I love to hear you talk too. <laughs> um, but I actually, in my, in my book, Sex Part with Stretch Marks, I talk about I I call our, you know other women my sister goddesses Aww. because I do believe that other women are my sister goddesses. Yep. And um, when I was in my twenties, you know, when I think back about the way. I thought about other women. I, like, even my mother, my sister, my best friend, I thought of everyone in a way as, like, I was, because I didn't feel good about myself, I was measuring myself up against other people, yeah. and it meant that all my relationships had a scorecard. I mean, yeah. I had a scorecard with myself, even. Yeah. And I had to get rid of those scorecards. When I operated from a place of that, like, when I say I operate from zero competition, I am the most beautiful woman in my world. I'm the most wonderful woman in my world, but my world is just, like, my little world. Do you know what I mean? Whereas, like, you're the best, most beautiful woman in your world. Like you get, we all get to be the most beautiful. Like there doesn't have to be any sort of competition. <laughs> I like that. I mean, you get, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just never really thought of it that exactly like that. That I am the most beautiful woman in my world, even though I have beautiful daughters, and they're the mm-hmm. most beautiful women in their world. I love it. Everybody exactly. gets to be the princess. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is that like there's never because like. I, I remember, you know, that's the 20s mentality a lot, for a lot of women is that, yeah. you know, when you think about it, there's always going to be somebody smarter, you know, prettier, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, man, that makes you feel like poop. So what you can do is just say, like, I, I say I'm perfectly me. I am perfectly me. And yeah. I'm going to be the best version of me ever. And that has nothing to do with anybody else. So when I operated from that place yeah. and really started getting, like, into a, a more sacred connection with myself, I was like, I want to put good energy into other women and, like, uplift them. And my mission is always to uplift, inspire, and empower yes. other women. Yes. I mean, that's, like, that lights me on fire. I want to reach millions of women with my message where I want them to, like, know that their dreams are possible. I want them to know that, like, they can love themselves and, and you know, almost give themselves permission to step into that because, yeah. you know, a lot of us, like, if we were to say, like, I feel so beautiful. A lot of women would never feel brave enough to say that because they're afraid of the way women are going to judge them and everything. Right. But when you really start to form like soul sisterships, yeah, those girls they want you to toot your own horn. Yep. Well, and it, and it is a matter of not only how you see yourself because everything out there is sort of a projection and a reflection and what you attract. So. You know, if you're loving yourself and you're respecting yourself, you'll tend to attract. I find that I have attracted really powerful, beautiful women, and it's not threatening to me. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Oh, totally. Because you know what? It's like it's the idea of that there's only enough pretty to go around. Uh, there's yeah. only enough it's limited. To go yeah, around. yeah. You know? mm-hmm. there's only enough you know rock star mojo to go around, and it's like no, because that's the thing is that. You are the center of your own universe. They're the center of their own universe. And when you operate from the space of that, like, nobody's taking a piece of your pie. 
everybody gets their own damn pie. You know what I mean? <laughs> they don't have to share. And so it's like, I find that women that are really in that centered place of non-competition that look at other women like your sister got a suit, they light up. And this has nothing to do with age, weight, any of that kind of stuff. They emanate a really beautiful light. And when they say, like, it's so cliche to say they're beautiful on the inside and out, but people have said it to me many, many, many times. And yeah. I think I've gotten more beautiful as time has gone on because my sphere has gotten more beautiful. So, like, that's what people have picked up on with me. Yeah. Because, you know, like, as you get older, sometimes you can see on someone's face how closed their energy is or how open. Yeah. And if someone's loving, like, you just see it on their face. Yeah. And you want to be around them, you know? Yeah. And don't you want to be the kind of woman that other women want to be around, like, that they feel so good in your presence? Like, I think that's an awesome thing. I think it's a great asset as a woman to be that. I think it's an aspiration. Like, I, I want to be that person. I want to be the person that everybody feels comfortable and safe and, mm-hmm. and you know, whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that... <laughs> I have this bartender vibe, like, people will be like, I can't believe I'm telling you this. And, of course, as a life coach, that, you know, would be an asset. But I wonder if it's because I'm five foot where, like, no one's intimidated by me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I do have, like, I'd be on the bus or the train, and this person next to me is suddenly telling me their entire life story sobbing. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Is there anything I can do to actually help you? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, what's funny is that I wonder if there's just some people pick up on, like, that kind heart, like, that being open, yeah. like their open-heartedness, yeah. like they, because I think that sometimes people will tell me things because they know that I'm not going to judge them, yeah. and that's often like, when I have some coaching clients that are very anonymous, you know, like they don't want people to know that they're getting coaching or right. or any of that, and it's because some people, they're really, unfortunately, they're afraid of what their friends are going to think, and you really need to take a look at, is that your projection on them? Yeah. That you're just doing that if it's not if your friends are not nurturing you who are threatened by anything that you're doing you really need to look at the <laughs> kind of friendships you want to create yeah yeah absolutely and um gosh yeah i was going to say something and it just evaporated but you know <laughs> that's a mommy brain isn't it it's that's like, mommy that mommy yeah. and yaya brain i now have yeah, grandchildren exactly, living exactly. here exactly but you know my friendships have deepened as i change yes and some of my friendships actually um, I blogged about that for um, Elephant Journal about like when your friends are no longer your friends yes. and how when you I remember reading about the law of attraction at first when the secret came out and then I went on to Abraham Hicks and I was yes. I was actually really scared that some of my friendships were not going to be the same and I was like who am I going to lose when I really step into who I really am instead of being like gossipy and like chit chatty and you know yeah. all that baloney those like one dimensional friendships. And yep. I did have some friendships that fell away, you know, some of the mommy friends from school and stuff. And it was really hard at first because I kind of felt like I stuck out, like stuck out. Right. But then I actually used that as a gift where it's like, if you're going to be a pioneer sometimes in your field, not that I feel like I'm a pioneer, but like, if you're going to stand out on a stage, you sometimes have to stand out in real life, you know? Yep. And you'll always find a new tribe. Like sometimes you leave the one tribe and your friendship are not always going to be lifelong. And that's yeah. something I was always such a loyal friend. So I was like, we're, you know, friends forever. But that some friendships are floaty. They're, you know, they're going to float yeah. in, they're going to float out. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, that's, I think, difficult for women sometimes. But you have to realize some people are really great for you. And if you don't feel that connection with people sometimes, you need to distance yourself a little bit and see, hmm, I wonder what other awesome connections that I can have instead of feeling like you're losing something. 
Yeah. And I think that's that when I spaced out, that's what I was actually heading towards was the fact that there are different times in my life where certain friendships have just sort of and I wouldn't say there was like not necessarily a lot of drama. It just sort of naturally uh, faded a bit, you know. And um, you know, sometimes they come back around in different capacities, and sometimes they don't. But it doesn't really mean anything bad, you know. It just uh, mm-hmm. is. We we have different times. When we're doing different activities. When I'm a mommy, when my kids were little, there are different mommies I was friends with, and now I'm in a, a different capacity. You know, I'm not necessarily hanging out with the mommy people anymore. You know. Yeah, because you, as you change, I think that what you're looking for in other people changes. And I know for me, like, too much chit-chat and I'm bored out of my mind. Yeah. I just get so bored. Yep. So I want to be in a friend. I'm always like, I want to be talking to somebody who's going to make me laugh or going to make me, you know, be in Think. the soul plane of, you know, yeah. talking about what your dreams are. You know, yeah. what are some lessons you learned, like all of that. Like, to me, it, talking about the weather it, after a while, it's just like, really, it's like the weather, people. You know, like, it's yeah. just... Isn't that the common ground? You can always talk about that with people. Yep. Um, yep. But to me, that's a goal for everybody listening to this right now, is, you know, as women and even as men, is, like, really try to look to, like, fill other people up. Just by saying, like, one nice thing to them. If yeah. you imagine, like, just the vibrations on the planet, if everybody today, like, listening to this, just told one person, like, something really awesome that they loved about them. Right. Because we don't feel safe to do that often. Yeah. But, and it, not just, like, you have beautiful hair, but, like, you're such a kind heart. Like, I really admire that about you. It's just, like, right. it will actually transform your friendships if you do that to one of your friends. I like that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to mm-hmm. do that. Well, we have to close up this segment, but I like that you have, like, an action item for us because I'm going to practice that, and next time we talk, we'll um, awesome. we'll report Yay. in. <laughs> Thank you so much, Jenny. <laughs> Bye-bye. We hope you're feeling the sparkle. Go out there and light up the world. As Dante said, even a little spark may burst a flame. For more inspiration, visit thegreendivas.com and listen for this and other shows on gdgdradio.com. By outward appearances, not much changes on Earth as we observe it on a daily basis. The seasons usually are the way we mark change, but at any given moment, the planet is undergoing transformation. More on that after this. Everyone wants to be a part of the green movement, and that's a great thing. Going green takes on a whole new meaning when you add tall grass beef to your family's dinner table. It's tender and juicy, and since the cattle graze on the natural grasslands of Kansas, it's also loaded with essential fatty acids and omega-3s that regular grain-fed beef lacks. It's good for you and your family and good for the earth. For more information and to order Tallgrass Beef online, go to www.tallgrassbeef.com. One of the byproducts of human existence is a disconnect with the planet that sustains us mostly due to technology. With more and more time spent on cell phones, be it texting or talking, a new condition called TMS, or Turbulent Mind Syndrome, keeps us more in our head and less in nature. Buckminster Fuller said that we are creating all the right technology for all the wrong reasons. Take time without the aid of electronics to go for a walk in the woods for no other reason except to be part of it, not apart from it. I'm Bill Curtis with Earth Matters.
green can be so sexy. Well, at least you can be sexy and keep it green. Check out the Green Divas Eco Sexy Podcast for ways to keep it green in the bedroom or wherever you like to have sex. On again with the fabulous Wendy Stragar, and she's a loveologist. She's also the founder of Good Clean Love. Uh, she's the author of Love That Works and soon to be released Sex That Works. And I love if you go to her website, it says The Ecology of Love. It really ties it all in. Hi, Wendy. Hi, thanks for having me again, Lynn. So nice to be with you. Oh, I'm Meg, but that's okay. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you do all the coordinating with Lynn. People often think they're talking to Lynn. Sorry, uh, I apologize, that's, Meg. Thank you for having me. That's okay. Um, so I think today our topic is going to be fantasy, which sounds like we could talk for hours, but we're, we're going we're gonna to hit the highlights right here. So tell us a little bit. So, you know, fantasy is, I think, where the engine turns on for most people sexually, and most many people don't realize it. So many people will say and have said that the sexiest part of our body is between our brains. And, you know, while there is definitely the limbic brain structure, which is connected to our olfactory bulb, which is where memory, sexuality, and emotion come on, that is literally where the arousal mechanism lays. So I always invite people to use scent, but what I think is even more powerful than scent in waking up that arousal mechanism is this um, play about fantasy. Okay. Um, and, you know, there's the, the, here's the thing. Everybody has a fantasy life, and many people are not aware of what their fantasy life is. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, I, I personally remember many years of feeling like I was afraid to look at the stuff that was coming up in my mind. And I remember, actually, when I finally thought, okay, I'm just going to look at it. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to look at it. Right. How, how overwhelmed I was and, and really fearful, like, where did that come from? Right. Oh, my God. Right. How did I get those thoughts? And, you know, and it's, they're so real. They're so vivid. They're like an incredibly vivid dream or daydream fantasies, especially when you employ them sexually. And so, you know, you can start to think, oh, my God, was I sexually abused? Or, I mean, it's easy to, like, have right. your other brain get all anxious about fantasy. But really, if you just, like, let that be what it is, um, it's, um, it's, it's an incredible fuel for your passionate life. Now, and then there's something, I suppose, about not being ashamed and removing the shame and being able to communicate with your partner, perhaps, about it. Um, you know, the shame part about our fantasies is everything, so it's a great question. <laughs> many, many people. I mean, the first question, and we'll talk about this on another day maybe, but the first question most people have about who they are as a sexual human being is, am I normal? Right. right? So, you know, we're terribly afraid of the things that come up in us organically, um, sexually. So, so many people have a lot of shame, and I did, you know. I mean, for, for a long time, even after I allowed myself to look at my fantasies, that doesn't mean that I was willing to tell my husband about them. Right. You know, right. It, took, it took a long, long time for me to feel comfortable enough to share th- those things that came through me. 
Yeah, and 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 may I ask, how did he respond when you finally sort of got well, into you know, the conversation? Well, you know, he wanted to know. Yeah. Like I would tell him, you know, I'm like watching my fantasies, and I feel like there was a way in he which he kind of responded to this this unspoken language that happened through fantasy. But um, you know, when I and there's still things I don't tell him, you right. know, but right. but but increasingly as we become more and more comfortable with that space, I do tell him. And you know he, you know he's curious, and it's funny. I've said to him, "Well, what do you, what do you think about?" Right. And you know, men and women don't always have the same function, fantasy-wise. Yeah. And and maybe I, it's not even worth it to sort of separate in genders. But I do want to say that I think that's a fairly unique experience um, for many people. Right. So whatever, like, turns me on, or whatever my fantasies might be, really may not work for anybody else, uh, including my husband. You know, there's, uh, and it doesn't have to. That's the beautiful right. thing. Right, right, you know, right. It can, it can live in you, and that is enough to fuel a sex life with somebody who might have no idea what your fantasies are. You know, there's some ver- very, very interesting research about this. Some of the most interesting sexual work I've ever read is by a guy named Stanley Siegel, and he, and he wrote uh, this book called Your Brain on Sex. And he had done years and years, literally decades of research about around this idea of fantasy. And his premise is, and it makes so much sense to me, is that as a early adolescent, which is when our erotic selves awaken, what our subconscious brain does is take these painful experiences from our childhood, our youth, and, and try to create a pleasure response to them. So that pleasure response becomes our basic fantasy thread. And actually, it's very interesting because many times that doesn't change over a lifetime. So people who have fetishes about shoes or, I mean, things that you can't explain, when you look at it within this context, it becomes really incredibly interesting. So, you know, when you think about pornography and the themes that we consistently see in pornographic literature of domination, submission, fetishes. I mean, there's things that come up consistently. The interesting thing is, is that the pathway to those fantasies is not the same. So, you know, one person might have an overbearing mother and, you know, who kind of squashed you. And so then you would think, well, that would maybe create this fantasy of, um, you know, domination, right? right? right. But for just, you know, for it could just as likely create a, a fantasy of submission. And so the important thing is, is, at least in his research, and again, his name is Stanley Siegel, Your huh. Brain on Sex. It's a great book, recommended to anybody listening. Um, but, um, you know, the important thing is, is that as you begin to understand what happened to you in your youth that might have been something that you were trying to heal, and then being able to really honestly witness your fantasies, yeah. you make that connection yourself. It's really incredibly exciting sexual exploration. Well, and so to some degree, it's about accepting what what it is and being embracing it to some degree and being okay with it. Well, you have to be willing to look. Yeah. Right? Okay. You know, you have to be willing to look at what happened to you. You know, which found which was your foundation yeah. as a kid, and you have to be willing to look at you know what it is that turns you on. And it's pretty stunning the number of people who are not willing to look at what turns them on, who feel too much shame or feel like they can't go there. or I mean, and as I said, when it first happened to me, I was afraid when I saw some of the thoughts that yeah. went through my head. Because yeah. you know what? They're not socially correct. Right, right, and right. They don't have to be. <laughs> yeah. They don't have to be because right. they're a fantasy. Right. That's very different than the things you act out in life. 
And I do want to say one cautionary note about fantasy, which is that when you take fantasy out of your head and you make a big leap and you say, okay, I'm going to go to a dungeon now, you know, or I'm going to invite a third person into my couplehood, right. you know, those things have lasting impacts when you embody them in 3D. Right, right, so right. So I feel like if you can have a real deep discussion with somebody about that, right. then you have no business manifesting it on a three-dimensional level. So in other words, be responsible. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's yeah. like that's the thing. It's like if you if you have the comfort level of living with your fantasies in such a way that you can actually play them out. Like there's a story of this one woman who was, you know, like super, you know, hurt and damaged by stuff at church. So she always had this fantasy about having sex with a priest. Right. So one, so she was able to talk about that with her husband, and they got costumes, and they acted that out, and it was profoundly healing for her, you know? Right. So that's just a super obvious example. But, yeah. you know, if you've always kind of like had this fantasy of a threesome in some kind of domination kind of way, yeah. you know, and you can't talk to your partner about it, then you have no business doing that right. in the world. Yeah. Communication, you know? honest communication, and open communication is mm -hmm. obviously a foundation yeah. that needs to be there. Now, I could talk to you about this all day, but I know we're going to have some other segments coming up, so I'm going to invite people to visit your website, goodcleanlove or wendystragar.com, correct? Well, actually, they should go to goodcleanlove.com, but they should really go visit my new blog, which yes. is just redesigned. It's so beautiful. I'm so happy every time I look at it. It's called Making Love Sustainable dot com. Oh, that's, cool. that's the that's the blog I've been writing for years and we've just kind of like really modern it up and and it's very beautiful and super user friendly and Thank there's a you. ton of literature there. I mean ton of great reading. So yeah. Making Love Sustainable dot com would be where to go. So until next time, go there and thank you, Wendy. Pleasure. Turned on yet? Well, go to thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. To learn more about this Green Divas eco-sexy podcast and find other low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. The Green Divas get to talk to so many inspiring people who each in their own way is helping us find a deeper shade of green. Here's just one of them. Enjoy. Wow, it has been way too long since I've had an opportunity to speak to this amazing guy, green dude, uh, Randy Painter, who is the founder, CEO, creator of Care2, which is, if you have not been to Care2, which the long form is Care to Make a Difference, get it? Care2.com is one of the coolest sites, not only to become informed, but to take action. Hi, Randy. How are you? I'm doing great, and thank you for that introduction. I love that. Oh, <laughs> I like it when I get it right. Once in a while, it happens. Hey, that, that sounds great. I'm going to have to use that in the future. So. One of the coolest sites. I like it. It is. Well, we are, you know, as I said to you before we went on the air, you know, we are just still thrilled to be part of Care2. Um, you've been very gracious in giving us sort of our own little featured blog, and um, pretty much weekly, you guys are so busy, and Megan and your editorial team have given us a lot of great airspace, so we're very grateful to be part of it because, as I said, your audience, um, you know, they, they seem to like what we're 
about for the most part. And, um, you know, we, we just love the fact that we can point to all these actions people can yeah. take. Well, thanks. Yeah, no, we love having you. You guys uh, be part of our site as well. So uh, it's certainly uh, a very well-aligned uh, mission for both of these our organizations. So it uh, seems like a perfect fit. And our, our members uh, yeah, love uh, love hearing you guys, and they love interacting, <laughs> and yeah, but also yeah, love taking action on important causes. Yeah, and we we're constantly you know pointing to people towards either from our site or from our show to specific petitions or or places that people can take action um, and, and other posts obviously on care too there's some really good information so let's talk to the audience that may not have heard us talk because it's been a couple of years about care too and, and and your mission with care too sure uh, so care too is a social network of 30 million people that stand together for good uh, people come to care to really to start petitions and sign petitions and, and support each other's campaigns. And there's really a wide variety of campaigns on care to from animal welfare to the environment, working workers' rights, and uh, you know a whole lot of other types of issues. Uh, care to is also a benefit corporation, which means that we use uh, business as a force for good. And so the way that we generate revenues is to um, and support basically all this goodness is by basically serving as a matchmaker between nonprofit organizations and our members. So essentially what we're doing is we're helping nonprofits to find prospective donors in a much more affordable and sustainable way than traditional methods such as direct mail. And so far we've helped to recruit over 40 million prospective donors for nonprofits. So, wow, wow. And I yeah. just want to just say that it the, the way that uh, care to offers folks like me who are on there interacting, um, I get these little bu- butterfly points, right? And then I can mm-hmm. go to some of these wonderful organizations because I've earned them through my interactions on Care2. And like today, before we talked, I thought, oh, I'm going to go and see what my butterflies are. And I was able to give life-saving suds through Oxfam America to uh, to a child, and I don't really know where, but um, I I know that you vet these nonprofits well, so I feel really good about the fact that when I say yes, please do that, it's getting done. Right. Yeah. This, it's one of the fun aspects of care too. We added this uh, kind of member rewards program a few years back, and when people take action on our site, they earn credits. They can then redeem those credits for gifts that make the world a better place. So they're very altruistic gifts. Um, such as you know, giving a day of clean drinking water for, uh, for a family in need, uh, planting a tree, things like that, where you're actually using your credits for good. So we work with a number of organizations on that, and we also work with uh, over a thousand different nonprofits to help them find these prospective donors. And a lot of that is happening through uh, our petition site uh, as well. So uh, we see ourselves as kind of this big funnel to bring in a lot of folks that are either not that familiar with issues or are kind of getting more familiar, get them involved, help them kind of up the, the engagement ladder, and then hand them off to nonprofit organizations that are going to be able to kind of uh, take them up to the next step, the next, la- next level of engagement, and uh, where, where individual organizations have much greater expertise in certain categories, right. such as animal welfare, women's rights. Um, and we're kind of heading them off to those organizations. Well, you're like this fabulous activist clearinghouse and, and, and in a way that's like, you know, it's a trusted source. So like when I know, like I said, when I, I know when I, 
you know, uh, am reaching out through Care Two that things are happening, and uh, you know, and I also like that you really allow pretty much anybody to do what they're going to do there. You don't make a lot of judgment about it. It's like okay, you know, there's there's a few bizarre. What's what's the most bizarre petition someone has started on Care Two? <laughs> I've always wanted to oh, ask wow. you that because yeah, I've that, seen a couple a of doozies. <laughs> well, hey, we, we get petitions uh, about care too, asking us to add teachers or to fix something or, or what have you. So there's, uh, they're all over the map. So um, I think the vast majority of petitions, though, are really focused on uh, really important causes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sometimes they're very hyper specific or hyper local, as we say. Sometimes they're more kind of national or, or global in scope. But one of the neat things about CARE, too, is that we've got this community of 30 million people that tend to be aligned around certain common values. So they want to be have a kind of a more inclusive world. They want yeah. to have a more sustainable world, kinder world. And so so when, it, when someone starts a petition on CARE, too, and anybody can start a petition, uh, the members are actually looking at those and kind of vetting them and, uh, you know, signing yeah. those petitions that seem to resonate most with them. And then they're sharing them on Facebook and Twitter and other places. And so they tend to go viral just because of the community that we have. Right. So we honestly don't need to do a lot of vetting of actual uh, figure out which are the ones that, you know, someone started it, but then they didn't really, they never really finished it or, or what have you, because our, our members are really good at finding those that are, that are important and that are, um, you know, worthy of a lot greater, oh. uh, you know, awareness. And oh. so we actually, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to testify to that. And as I mentioned before, like we know based on what we're posting on CARE2, what does really well um, Anything with animals, that that's, you know, a positive message about animals tends to do well. And certain things that, you know, don't resonate as much. Like, And, and I said at one time in, in the really kind of crazy side, I had done a story, I think with um, – who's the uh, poet Frost? His grandson has like a uh, – Robert Frost, yeah. Thank you, Robert Frost. His grandson has a grass-fed, organic, happy cows outside farm, and we had interviewed him, and I used the term conscious carnivore, and you have some real – there are some really um, militant vegans in there, and, <laughs> and, and you know, and God bless them, but they let me know. They let me know straight yeah. up, like, no, we're not, we're not hearing that. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's interesting, but it started a dialogue, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really important. I mean, we, we, have, um, we have folks that some folks, some kind of the mainstream might consider to be quite extreme. Um, but what I've found is that over the years, um, I mean, we were one of the first sites to really advocate against a lot of the, the toxins in, you know, beauty products yeah. or uh, just in, in all sorts of in foods and um, you, you name it, all sorts of products. And that used to be a pretty radical concept. Uh, you know, we started this 17 years ago, and that was, that was a pretty radical concept back then. People yep. thought we were crazy. And yet nowadays uh, it, it's quite mainstream. And, um, you know, there's with a, with a banning of uh, BPA in, in certain situations, uh, and, you know, there's, there's a campaign against um, these microbeads now. There's like, yes. all, all sorts of these. Uh, campaigns are now becoming quite mainstream, which used to be yeah. quite extreme. So, yeah, so we, so we never want to dismiss the people that are that are kind of far on, on the side because uh, what, what history has shown is yeah. that they end up uh, kind of being the, the, the voice of the majority over the long term. Right. So. They're like the leading edge of what's coming, you know. 
Yeah, and I think that's one of the areas that we see. So you're right, the animal welfare is a big topic on our site. In fact, we've uh, had something like, I think it was 57% of all uh, petition signatures over the last year were for animal welfare petitions. So it's a, it's a very popular um, category. And I really feel that uh, what we're seeing is this just much greater awareness that animals have, you know, feelings and that uh, yeah. and emotions and that we need to... Um, care for them and, and, and treat them uh, really you know, equally as we do, uh, you know, humans in a, in a lot of situations where yeah. uh, historically I think people just kind of thought, well, the, you know, they don't really have any feeling. We can just do as we please with them. And, you know, now mainstream, whether it's, whether it's hens laying eggs in, you know, in, in small cages yeah. or uh, kind of these feeding lots where they grow, uh, where they, you know, mass feed these uh, cattle, um, you know, that's no longer acceptable to a lot of folks. And I think um, yeah. that will, there's no doubt that's, that's going to become a much bigger issue in, uh, in, in the mainstream from here on out. Yeah, well, and in, in, in large part because there are folks like you and Care2 that are giving this wonderful platform to help um, to help raise awareness. People can make their own decisions, but it's hard once you sort of know some things, you're like, nah, okay, I can't unknow that now. <laughs> right. Well, no, absolutely right. No, and some, I mean, there's definitely some of these, these stories or some of the images that you see are just are, are really, you know, uh, heart-wrenching. And so, and, and there's something about a petition that also when you see that, you know, there are 100,000 people that have put their names on to, to stand on behalf of some particular issue and that's really powerful, and it's powerful for people that uh, maybe weren't aware of the issue and now all of a sudden realize there's a lot of folks that actually uh, believe in that right. cause. But it's also powerful for politicians. It's possible, p- powerful for all sorts of you know, corporate decision makers, and it's powerful for the media as well. So we find that um, the media really is able to focus in on uh, the fact that certain petitions are taking off, and so we get we've got more and more stories about uh, various petitions, and we've actually now built out a whole media team that supports individual citizen authors, so that if someone starts a petition, we can help them to get media attention, whether it's in their kind of their hometown or a national or wow. level. So, yeah. Oh, that's way cool. Now, you also do, you know, because you have such a wonderful. Uh, base 30 million freaking people to work with so you've started to to do some um interesting research with things like polls and i think you did one recently about water yeah we did we actually we pulled our members uh in california in specific because jerry brown governor jerry brown recently enacted some legislation to require uh folks in urban areas to reduce their water consumption by 25% 25% in response to this, uh, you know, really terrible drought that we are experiencing here in California. And Care2 is actually based in, uh, in California. So we polled our members and tried to understand uh, their thoughts about this and how prepared they are. And one of the most interesting things that we found was that uh, among self-declared environmentalists, the folks that should get it and, and, and know more about these issues than pretty much anybody else, uh, about 36% of them actually uh, didn't know what they were going to do to be able to reduce their water consumption as much as they wow. needed to. Wow! Wow! So, yeah. So, so there's this. There's a great understanding that uh, we need to reduce our water, 
And something like 90% of people that we polled had already actually reduced their, their water consumption. But there wasn't the understanding or uh, the education hadn't, hasn't happened yet to help folks actually navigate this and figure out how they're going to be able to reduce their water that much. Because 25% is a, is a pretty significant amount for a lot of folks. And um, it's very important. And in fact, our members actually, 65% uh, of them were advocating for uh, increased reductions of water overall. Yeah. But I think they felt that big agriculture in particular needed to also uh, do its part. Well, that's, that's the other thing is, is you know, individuals are going to really, you know, buckle down and hopefully uh, a large percentage of them, at least the care to audience there probably will. But, you know, what about all these agriculture, some of obviously which we need, but then um, there's like water bottling companies that are still draining aquifers to fill water bottles to sell back to people. (laughs) I mean, it's just really irritating me. Yes, it's a little. Uh, it seems like it's a, a little outdated in terms of the uh, the model there. So, it is is definitely on the radar of our members. They have been. Um, they've started a number of petitions on this topic, and I think what happens is that uh, someone will start a petition. It will get a lot of attention, and it helps to educate um, both consumers as well as the uh, the, the folks in charge. Um, uh, the government and, and, and businesses as well about what consumers are really demanding. And so uh, in, but, but ultimately, I guess, I, I, and this is one of the reasons we started Care2 was that I believe um, ultimately the power is in the hands of the individuals. And yeah. So ultimately, you know, we need to change our behavior of uh, where we buy and how we vote and, uh, you know, where we invest our money these are the things that are going to ultimately force business and uh, society and, and, you know, and uh, Congress to move in that right direction. And so uh, petitions are, are a particularly powerful form of expressing that um, that desire, but, uh, but so is – and ultimately um, it comes down to, to purchasing and to voting. Yeah. So um, that's – you know, I think that's what's going to it's going to take is because corporations are going to continue to have this relatively short term focus on profits, and and you know there's there's a lot of good that comes from the pursuit of profits, uh, but it also needs to be guided, um, and that's where uh, the individuals through this through requiring greater transparency and creating um, feedback to corporations. Through social media and you know online services like Care2, uh, they're able to tell corporations this is what we're really this is what we want to see, and so they're holding corporations accountable more than ever before. So oh, and I'm it really, really it, it really is happening. I mean, you know, uh, mommy bloggers are getting together and parents, concerned citizens, and 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 really affecting change. Um, and, and a large part of it has started with, with Care2 and the model that you've set out, and you still have this wonderful platform for folks. So if you haven't gone to care2.com, I'm telling you, you've got to go there and check it out. It's really fun. And, and they, you also have the – you still have the best e-cards. <laughs> we do. We do. I know that's kind of a – that's our, our secret little uh, weapon there that's uh, – a lot of folks these days don't know about because we, we've in the last uh, two years we've really focused heavily on petitions. But 
Um, one of the key services that actually got Care2 going in the early days was uh, e-cards. And we have uh, uh, Camilla Erickson, fabulous uh, e-card artist who yeah. made some of the best e-cards. So, uh, yeah, another another great way to uh, get involved and spread the word about Care2 and, and do some spread some love and uh, joy at the same time. Well, you might as well and right, you, you know, save some postage in a tree while you're at it. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Randy, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much for the great work you're doing and for, you know, continuing to work with the Green Divas on getting the word out there. Great. Well, thank you. It's been my pleasure. Hope you enjoyed that as much as they did. Please visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com. For more fun podcasts and information on the Green Divas and low-stress ways to live a deeper shade of green. You've been listening to the Green Divas radio show. Be sure to look for this and other Green Diva Network podcasts on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, iTunes, Swell Radio, and Spreaker. Get social with the Green Divas on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest. Subscribe to the Green Divas YouTube channel to watch them in action. And for all the latest good green news, visit thegreendivas.com. That's T-H-E, greendivas.com.